0: So, week six in our Tattoo My Soul sermon series, Um, this sermon idea of tattooing our soul with God's Word comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 11, which says, Write my words on your heart and in your soul. Do whatever it takes to remember what I'm telling you. Picture that. This is God saying, child, son, daughter, do whatever it takes to remember what I'm I'm telling you. Here's some examples of what you can do. Tie my words to your hands. Talk about them wherever you are, when you're at home and when you're on the road, from the time you get up in the morning until you go to bed at night. Here's another way. Inscribe them on the doorpost of your house. Write them on your gates or your windows so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your family may be blessed and flourish. So you guys, God just said, I long to bless you. I long to flourish you. I long to give you blessings and gifts. And all that's required is that you read this word and remember it. And so what are some ways that we get to remember? Well, you guys all have your own way. Some of you can just read something and you know it. Some of you guys like to write it down over and over. Um, That works for me. Some of you like to take a scripture or God's truth that speaks to you and turn it into art, which is why we're doing our contest. All of those are ways that we can remember God's word, that we can write it on our soul. The best way I know to write God's truth in our hearts and our soul and make it part of us is that when we hear something that speaks to us from the word, that we just go do it. As recipients, one of the first things that we get to receive in this relationship with Jesus is the gift of salvation, And because salvation and discipleship are about putting our faith in action, to receive it, we actually have to take a step of faith, which is what? Baptism. Uh, I was praying as I walked from the portables to the building 10 minutes ago for this service, and I just felt like the Lord impressed upon me. You need to invite the students and let them know that if anybody wants to get baptized, begin their relationship with Jesus Christ today, that that's on the table. Any single Sunday, This week or next or the 10 weeks from now that you feel like I'm all in. I'm giving my whole life to Jesus. I will be honored to baptize you. And as I prayed that, what I loved is that when I walked in the building before service even started, a student walked right up to me and said, would it be all right if I get baptized today? I feel like I'm supposed to get baptized today. So we get to baptize somebody right after this service. And as you listen to this sermon I'm about to give, if you feel like I've never taken that step, I want to be all in. I want all the good that God has to offer, even if it's hard. I would love to, like, for you too. All right. So, here is our sermon. Um, I was lying in bed on Sunday night last week after last week's sermon thinking, God, what am I supposed to talk to the students about this coming Sunday, today, knowing that each week we're looking at one of the scriptures that God gave me in a given year. Beginning with Isaiah 49, 1 through 7, and going all the way up, and then over to this arm, I've got 12 years of scriptures that God has spoken to me and had me press into. At the beginning of every single new year, I sit down with the Lord and I say, you know what's coming down the pipe better than me. You know what I need to work on in my heart better than me. Give me a verse to press into all year long. And every year I've asked that question, he has faithfully supplied exactly what I need, and I get to press into it and grow and experience like just awesome stuff. And so as I asked God what scripture he wanted me to pull from, immediately he said, Jeremiah 45. Jeremiah 45 is right here on the middle of my right arm, and it is the shortest chapter in Jeremiah, and it is so rich and so good, and I'm going to talk to you about how God used it to shape and continues to shape me back in 2013. But as you listen, I don't want you to just listen to, oh, well, that's what God did for Justin. This is the scripture God told me to tell you today So, be asking the Lord, what does this mean for me? How does this translate to me? And as He impresses those things on you, use your pen and paper and write it down. So, some background on my life back in 2013 when I was asking God to give me a word for that coming year. um, I was dissatisfied with my life at that time. I was working on the communications team. My heart longed to be in the student ministry. I had left. The student ministry, forcefully, I was asked to leave three years before because of the financial crisis that happened, and they didn't have enough to pay me to be on the student team with all the other people, so I had to go and join another team. But for three years, I was like, God, I feel like you called me to lead the student ministry. I'm way over here. It's way over there. What's the deal? And in 2012, like, I had thought I'd grown really good at waiting, but I just got fussed, uh, fed up. Fussy, I was about to say, but do grown men call themselves? I, maybe. I I did. I'm not, I'm not, like, ashamed. So I asked the Lord. I took my, my, my fussiness, my grief, and I, w- I was just like, dude, like, what's up? I'm ready to rock and roll here. I want more than what you've given me. And as I was even praying that, I was neglecting to remember all the good things that God had done for me in those three years. I mean, He gave me another job where I got to learn all kinds of useful things that still come into play today. I got to learn how to build and lead a strong team of believers like a family. I didn't know how to do that before I left student ministry. Um, I got to buy a house in the community I grew up in, which I never thought I'd be able to afford to do, but God showed me a foreclosure and had us buy this house at a third of the price. That, That happened. I got to have my second child, my son Wyatt, like all kinds of amazing things happened during those three years of waiting when I was only focused on this one thing. So I took my frustrations, my waiting, and even as I say that word, students, what are you waiting for right now in your life? And are you frustrated? Because it's like, let's go. That's how I felt, that's where I was at. And I did what we should all do with our frustrations and our waiting, I took it to the Lord, On December 31st, 2012, the day before the new year, and I wrote out in my journal, Good morning, Father. Thank you for today. Thank you that you are the God who makes dreams come true. May this year be a year of dreams fulfilled. I pray this would be the year of your good favor for me. I pray for more. God doesn't not like that prayer. That's a perfectly appropriate prayer. He's my Father. He's the giver of every good gift. We should come to God. But that was my only prayer for the year. How are you going to bless me? And I opened my Bible by faith, and I landed on Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 9, and it said, What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly, you who believe that wealth will buy security. Man, if you didn't think that wasn't just the most loving gut punch as I sat down with the Lord and said, bless me, buddy, give me more. And he said, what sorrow for you if you think more money and more stuff is gonna make you okay. And I just confessed right there in my quiet time, Father, forgive me. You alone are my security. Remove this lie from my heart that more money will make me happy. I began today's prayer looking for what you could do for me this year. I now ask, what can I do for you? I opened my Bible again and I landed on Jeremiah chapter 45. The prophet Jeremiah gave a message to Baruch, son of Neriah, in the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. After... Baruch had written down everything that Jeremiah had dictated to him. So who's Baruch? Who is this guy? Well, you got to start by answering who's Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet of God, as we just read, which means Jeremiah's job on this planet in this life was to hear things that God said and then go tell them to other people. But Jeremiah also needed to have those things recorded, so he wrote them down. But I don't know what the deal was. Jeremiah didn't write them down. Instead, he grabbed his friend Baruch. Jeremiah heard the word, Jeremiah said the word, and Baruch was the guy who wrote it down. And then they would go together and deliver the message, one of them speaking it and one of them giving it written out, which is why we have Jeremiah at all in the Bible. So Baruch was Jeremiah's scribe. Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because his tenure as a prophet of God at that time in the world was very difficult because all of God's people, most of God's people, were not doing what God said at all. They weren't reading this book, they weren't doing what it said, and as a result, they were living selfish lives, and they were hurting themselves by the way that they were doing things in a way that says, I know best, instead of, you know best. And toward the end of Baruch and Jeremiah's career, which is why this shows up in Jeremiah 45, things got really hard for Jeremiah and Baruch. That people weren't celebrating when they showed up because their message was harsh. It was, you guys, we got to get this going. We got to start obeying the Lord because trouble's coming. He's our father. And when kids aren't like, behaving well, father's discipline, and he doesn't want to. So let's get this going. And when they'd show up to towns and tell people this is going to happen, they'd be like, I don't want to hear that. They'd reject them. They would mock them. Oftentimes, they would hurt them or imprison them, and Baruch didn't like that. And I can relate. Baruch was okay serving the Lord as long as he didn't have to suffer doing it. So, here's Baruch writing down Jeremiah's message in 45, and then it says... This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. Can you imagine Baruch sitting there writing another message to the Israelites, and then Jeremiah is hearing directly from God, and he goes, Baruch, this next thing, this is just for you. How must that have felt for Baruch, writing down these words, and all of a sudden, I'm about to hear words that God is speaking directly to me. And we know what was going on in Baruch's life, and we know his attitude, and let's see if it lines up with what God says to him. Baruch, the Lord said, I have heard you say, I'm overwhelmed with trouble. Haven't I had enough pain already? And now the Lord has added even more. I am worn out, God, from sighing, and I can find no rest, no comfort. Baruch, this is the Lord's response to your complaint. Look around you. What I have built, I'm about to destroy what I have planted. I'm about to have to uproot. Baruch, are you seriously seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. I'm about to bring great disaster upon all these people. But know that I will give you your life as a reward wherever you go. I, the Lord, have spoken. Again, what a beautiful gut punch for me. And where I was and what I was dealing with, to read these words to Baruch, which I knew it might as well as just said, Justin, are you seeking great things for yourself, comfort for yourself? Don't do it. Everybody you know is in danger of the fires of hell. And I just responded, Jesus, I pray for humility. I pray for a servant's heart. Help me be content with who I am and what you've already given me. Purge me of this greedy, complaining spirit. I thank you for my life. I thank you for my family. I thank you for today. Amen. And that was the first of many quiet times that year where I would just press into this idea. Is my life really all about me or is it about him and others? What was Baruch's problem? It was the same as my problem Baruch was okay serving God. He was okay coming to church. He was okay coming to small groups. He was okay serving somewhere in his ministry, but he was not okay if it cost him something, if it hurt, if it was uncomfortable. Baruch was okay praying for his best, but he really kind of stunk at remembering, oh wait, I know all kinds of people I, sh- I can also be praying for. It's not don't pray for yourself. It's Pray for yourself, but pray for the people around you. Because every single one of us, if we leave this earth, having never confessed our faith in Jesus Christ, been baptized into the kingdom, we don't go to heaven. Period. The end. We go to hell. And God says, I'll give you 70, 80, 120 years to figure that out. But if you know somebody that doesn't know that, and you're not saying anything, Justin, and you're whining because your house is too small, I love you, but shame on you. It makes me wonder, it made me wonder as I was writing the sermon this week, how often do I pray just for me, even now, even in 2019? And as I ask that question, I want you to ask it of the Lord right now, just between you and Him. How often are your prayers focused on you and your comfort compared to the just sea of brokenness and hurt in the world around us, in the lives of your friends and your family, The people you like, the people you don't like. How often are your prayers focused on me and not also them? Luke chapter 10 says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to go to heaven when I die? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Basically, Jesus said, have you read my book? What's it say? And the man answered, well, I know that the two great commandments say that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. Go do that. That's it. Love me and love other people. God's greatest commandment, love God, that means putting him first in our decisions about where to go to school, who to date, how to spend our time and our resources, like all the gifts God gives us. How do we use that? Just put God first when you're thinking about those things and walking through your day. And the second is like it, think about other people when you're making those decisions too. Love other people as you're thinking about those things too. But as I wrote that down, I just started thinking, I'm like, that is not the world that I live in. That's not the world that you live in. I feel like the greatest commandments in our culture say, protect yourself above all others and protect your stuff above all others, which means our culture today, I believe to an extent, if not completely, our gospel is me, 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 and all my stuff. And even as I read that, if that's true for you today, it's okay. still true for me a bit, but let's... Ask the Lord if he has something to say about that before we leave this room. Thinking about this me, me, me mentality and how when we're hurt and we're broken, we just shut down and we just fill up with self-pity and we just put up walls, it made me think of a scene from a movie because you know I think in movies. I don't know why, but I like it. And I liked it this week because I thought of a movie I hadn't seen in years. Who's ever seen The Goonies? Anybody seen The Goonies? It looks like maybe 25% of you. That is horrible. I want all of you to go watch the Goonies. Not right now, but this week. And then come back and thank me, because it's awesome. The whole premise is a bunch of students, kids your age, right? They find a treasure map in Mikey's dad's attic, and it's pirate treasure. And the, the map shows it's, it's kind of nearby. And so they follow the map, and they go looking for treasure. Takes them underneath town. They're going through catacombs. They have run in with bad guys. Like, it's fascinating. It's super fun. But on the way to the treasure, we're talking a ship full of pirate treasure. They come through this one catacomb, and it's also filled with treasure, coins, money. And when they see it, they're like, check this out. This is amazing. But it wasn't the end of the map. It wasn't the end goal. It wasn't the main thing they went out to find. It was like a small thing in between. And as they are pocketing this money, one of these young men, one of these guys, he gets a Baruch moment, a Justin moment, a me, me, me moment. Because all the way up to there, they'd had a kind of a tough time. Kind of like at this stage of your life, you've had a bit of a tough time. Let's take a look at how this young man responded when he was tempted off the course and got that me, me, me attitude. Check this out. Hey Miles, who are you with the map, mate? Oh, I don't know. Probably a couple hundred years ago. Oh, wow! Uh, President Lincoln, George Washington, uh, Martin Sheen. Martin, Martin Sheen. Sheen, that's President Kennedy, you idiot! Well, the difference! I mean. He played Kennedy once. Oh, that's really smart. I'm glad to know you're using your brain. Yeah, well, at least I have a brain. So stupid, mouth. Oh, yeah? Yes. Ooh. Shut up. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't gold. This is a wishing well. Look. Hey, you guys, look. look. It must be the old Moss Garden wishing well. You know, I always used to believe that when you threw your money in, it turned into your wish. Take no coins. And I'll take two coins. Wait, 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 stop, stop. You what? can't do this. Why? Because these are somebody else's wishes. They're somebody else's dreams. Yeah, but you know what? This one. This one right here. This was my dream, my wish. And it didn't come true. So I'm taking it back. I'm taking them all back. You tell him, Corey Feldman. Did you guys notice that the young man that looked up and said, Hey, guys, it's the Boss Garden Rushing Well. That's Thanos from the Avengers. Fun fact. has nothing to do with my sermon. I just felt like you should know. You guys, we all know what it's like to, to have a tough day or a tough season to walk through hardship. I know some of you are in this room right now in a tough season, having a tough day, walking through hardship hardship. And we all know that it is easy, as I can attest to, to get tired of the toughness, to be like, when's it going to end? To get sucked in to the inevitable pity party when we only focus on the junk and we stop looking past it to the cross. We stop looking past it to the hope of heaven. We stop looking past to the fact that, wait, God says he wins in the end, so does this really need to dominate my time, all this worry, all this complaint. Because that's what happens, isn't it, when we get sucked into self-pity and selfishness. We make our problems, our tough seasons so big that we can't see past them or through them to God. We, we, we lose our ability to look for the good in our situation. I want to encourage you guys to remember the next time that you get sucked into that moment, and you might literally be there today, your struggle and your tough season, just like these guys who were in it together, they were going somewhere together. One of them was like, I've had enough. The next time you feel like that, I want to encourage you to remember that your suffering, whatever it is, your tough time, however long it's been going on, it also involves other people's dreams, other people's hope. Because God declared you and I overcomers by the power of the cross and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which means nothing in this life can stop us. Nothing in this life can hold us back. And when we throw up our hands and sit down and quit and complain, we're taking our brokenness, our story, and we're just hanging on to it. And we're feeding it. Instead of acknowledging you know what, if I make it through this hard season, if I get past this moment, other people might take comfort in that. I might be able to lead others out of that. We might arrive at the end of the line and celebrate together. Your brokenness may have way more power in fulfilling other people's freedom, other people's dreams, than you realize. I wanted to sit down back in 2013 and be like, you know what, forget it. I'll just go be you know, a photographer. And God was like, no, man, you're on a bigger journey than that. You got greater things going on than that. I was talking to Brooke about the sermon and the notes and where I was so far um, on Tuesday or Wednesday, and she's like, dude, that's, that's the good Samaritan story right there. You're, you're preaching that same principle. You need to share that with them. And so we're about to share that with you. But I want to ask... Who's read the story of the Good Samaritan? Anybody read it in the Bible? All right. Less of you than have seen Goonies. Horrible. So before you go watch Goonies, read the Good Samaritan story. It's in Luke chapter 10. But I want to give you some background. The Good Samaritan story is things that you need to know before we get into it are it's about a Jew and a Samaritan, Uh, a guy from one nationality and a guy from another. And they lived close to each other. They lived together and they hated each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans. You think the rivalry between the Woodlands High School and Conroe is a big deal? Nothing. These guys hated each other. They were prejudiced against each other. They went out of their way to hurt one another and drag each other down. And so when Jesus one day was asked, and it's interesting that Brooke mentioned this, because the very next line from that expert in the law that tried to trick Jesus is the Good Samaritan story. So I was already there, I just didn't even realize it. When Jesus was asked by that guy, okay, well, you say love you, you say love other people, but like, who exactly are those other people? He was looking for a loophole. He was like, can I just keep on loving myself the way that I have been? So he asked this question, and to answer the question of who should I love and how should I love other people, Jesus picked two people to focus his answer on that hate each other that in the world's eyes would never love each other, would never go out of their way for each other. Luke chapter 10, 29-37, the expert in religious law, looking for a loophole, asked Jesus, okay, okay, well, who exactly is my neighbor? And Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him for dead. But but luckily, a priest, a pastor, came along. But when this man of God saw the beaten man, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him right by. That's to be like if I was walking outside the building, and one of you was laying in the ditch, bleeding with your femur sticking out of your leg, and I was like, yeah, I got to go to lunch. I won't do that. So, he passed him by. Now, then an assistant at the temple of God, somebody who works at church, well, they showed up, but they also avoided the injured Jew. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the broken man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave the man first aid. He disinfected and bandaged his wounds. He picked him up and placed him on his own donkey, and he led him to an inn, and he made him comfortable, and in the morning, he took out two silver coins. He gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of this man, and if it costs more than this, put it on my bill, and I will pay you on my way back. And then Jesus asked the expert, what do you think? Which of these became a neighbor to the broken man? And the scholar responded, the one who treated him with kindness. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do that. I love this story because it involves a Jew and a Samaritan, enemies. They hated each other. In the world's eyes, they had every right to they had a right to ignore each other. That Samaritan had a right to think only of himself in that moment. He had a right to just keep on walking, but he didn't. He saw someone broken and said, I have the power to do something about that. Instead, that good Samaritan stepped out of his own problems, he stepped out of his own comfort zone, and he stepped down into someone else's Pain, knowing it would cost him something. I want to define a word for you guys, especially those who have never been here before. It's repentance. This word repentance biblically means to change the way you think. Change the way you think. When Jesus showed up on the scene after 40 days in the desert and he began his public ministry, he started by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the gospel right there. Jesus showed up and said, you need healing. You need your lives to be turned around. You need power and hope. Change the way that you think about who God is and who he created you to be. The big picture idea for today's talk and why God has me telling you about it and reminding myself about it is that God spoke a new idea, a change-worthy idea to Baruch hundreds of years ago. God spoke The same idea to me in 2013, and he said, if you press into this idea of stop serving just yourself, it's going to change the way that you think. And when you change the way that you think, it's going to change the way that you feel. And when you change the way that you feel, it's going to change the way that you act. And when you change the way that you act, you become a new person by the power of God. You feel like, I can't change my situation? Lie. B.S. Read this book. Walk it out. It will change everything for the better. I promise you. That's how God's Word works. Whenever we choose to tattoo truth on our hearts and walk it out, it changes us for good. What if today every single one of us used the Good Samaritan story to change the way that we think? Not just about the people in our life who are easy to love, Many of you in this room are so easy to love. It is so easy for me to pray for you. And some of you, I'm just like, really? Really? Again? Same prayer? Okay. But what if I just changed my attitude and be like, this person is just as broken as me. Did it not take me 10 years to break free of alcoholism? Thank you, Jesus. It was all him. I should have nothing but sympathy for your brokenness, and you should have nothing but sympathy for the brokenness of the people around you, whether they are easy to love or difficult. What if we stopped looking at people and their problems as inconveniences and started looking at them as opportunities? What if we started looking at everybody around us that, man, this person is just as broken as me, just as much in need of Jesus as me? What if the next time which might be today or tomorrow, you see someone hurting that you're like, oh, I could do something. Instead of walking by, instead of only being concerned for your own comfort, you stopped and said, are you okay? Like it could be that simple. Last Sunday, after the 945 service, a student was sitting in this room after everyone had left, weeping in their chair. And it would have been very easy for me to be like, oh, well, I got I to gotta go outside. I got to talk to my wife. I need to get notes on how the sermon went and if I need to make any changes. But I went over there, and I stepped into their pain and just asked, are you okay? And it led to the highlight of my day as this young man shared, what you said gripped me. And, and I, I feel like I need to do something about it, but I don't know what. And I just said, we prayed together, and I was like, what do you feel like God's calling you to do? And he just lit up. He just, he just knew the answer, having seconds before not known. But we prayed, and he said, I feel like God is calling me to encourage my lost friends. You guys talk about the picture-perfect example of coming to a place, hearing God's word, letting it in, and deciding I'm going to do something. And so I simply asked, okay, that's what you're thinking. What are you going to do? I'm going to encourage my friends this week. And we prayed and we sealed the deal. And it was the highlight of my day just stopping and saying, are you okay, instead of walking by. And you have no idea how much it encouraged me personally beyond that moment. As later in the week, thinking about this sermon, I would stop and consider this young man and wonder, man, I wonder if some of the lost friends he was talking about were like bullies or mean to him or you know beat up on him. And then I started thinking, oh man, I remember my my bully, Josh. Got to hate that guy. Josh was a thug in my school, and he picked on all kinds of people, but for whatever reason, like I was super special. Josh beat me up when I had a cast on my arm from a sports injury. Josh grabbed it and pushed on it. Josh was on the bus with me because he was literally my neighbor. So every day on the way home, I would try and sit and make myself so small so this big, mean bully wouldn't notice me and just make my life hellacious for that 20-minute ride. And as I thought about Josh, I started to get angry because, you know, I'm 43, and that happened when I was 12, and I was still like, yeah, I hate that kid. I hate him. That's how I felt, and I thought of this student who said, I want to encourage the lost people in my life, and thinking about this sermon coupled with that moment, I just stopped, and I was like, God, for the first time, I put myself in Josh's shoes. I stepped down into his pain and said, what must have been going on in his life, at his house, that would make him act like that? And I thought of the Good Samaritan, and I was like, Josh was just as broken as anyone else, maybe more. Who in his life had neglected him, left him for dead on the side of the road, that he felt the only way I can have any positive feelings at all is to hurt other people the way I've been hurt? And as I thought about that, in light of my little brother's prayer request, my heart broke for Josh. And God was like, pray for him right now. And I did. And that hate that I had been secretly harboring, I didn't even know it was there, just melted. And joy replaced it. Like I have been carrying unforgiveness for this 12 year old bully for do the math, 12 to 44. I literally asking you to do the math because I'm terrible at it. How many years is that? I got a lot of different answers. Thank you, my people. You don't know either. Long time. And praying for that young man, being an adult today, changed me inside. It worked. It was God's promise. Pray for them. Pray for your enemies. Confess your sins, and I will heal you and restore you. I'll forgive you. And I was like, that's what today is all about. That's what we're going to do today when we wrap up our sermon. So that's what we're going to do right now. Bailey and company, you guys can take the stage. Students, I'm going to ask you two questions. It's not just, oh, this person. I want you to ask the Lord these two questions. And if you have more than one name, I would encourage you in your seat to write them down. But here's the first question. Is there a bully in your life, whether presently or in the past? But let's not limit it to that. Is there someone in your life that you have anger for, hatred for, unforgiveness toward? Is there someone in your life that said something to you yesterday, five years ago, and it is still just like a white hot coal in your heart? It still hurts. Is there someone in your life that abandoned you, that ignored you, that picked on you, If God has given you a face or a name or even just a memory, I want you to own it. I want you to reach out, no matter how scary it is, and just grab hold of it for a second. I want you to write that person or people's name down. Because God wants to give us something today. But in order to receive it, we're going to have to make some room. So if you've got somebody, anybody, I don't care if it's a parent, a sibling, a friend, or an enemy that you're carrying unforgiveness for. Write down their name. Just a moment. And question number two. Who in your life do you know that is going through a really rough time? Who in your life have you seen or talked to or or just kind of been aware of who is having a tough time that you're like, you know, I, I could do something about that. I could help them. I could talk to them. I could ask them, are you okay? I could just pray for them. Who do you know? That you know could use some Jesus in their life? If a name or names, maybe it's the same name as a moment ago, is coming to mind. If you're seeing a face. Just write it down. Here's what we're going to do to respond today. In addition to tithe and communion and prayer partners, if you're in the room, please come to the front. If, you, if what I'm about to say to you as far as a response isn't enough and you need personal prayer today, amen, you connect with one of our prayer partners in the front of the back and they'll pray for you. But here's what we're going to do today. I hope we have enough left. We have these olive wood crosses. This wood comes from Israel. I've been hanging on to these little crosses for the better part of a year, waiting for just the right day to give them to you as a gift. And I want to invite you to come to the front and go to the back in just a moment and grab one of these crosses and then take one of these Sharpies. And on one side of this cross, I want you to write down the name or names of the person or people that you need to forgive. And I want to press into that. If you have someone in your life that you have not forgiven, do you know that you are carrying a weight behind you? It is slowing you down. It is dragging you back. It is preventing you from being and going as far with Jesus as is able. God says, if you've got somebody that you haven't forgiven, don't even come bring me your offerings. You go deal with that and then come. That's what this moment is about. As you write that person's name on this piece of olive wood, that represents the sacrifice of Jesus. I want you to picture a laying down of the hurt, a surrendering of the unforgiveness. I want you to picture just a burden leaving you, leaving your soul and being just tied to the cross of Jesus. And then on the opposite side, whoever God put on your heart that needs some encouragement, that needs to be asked are you okay? And maybe asked again, Write their name down. And I'm going to invite you to take these crosses with you today and carry them in your pocket all week or keep them somewhere you'll see it all day so that every time that you touch this or look at it, that'll be your signal, your trigger to pray for that person who hurt you, that God would bless them, that God would forgive them, forgive you for harboring that hate. And then pray for that person and just say, Jesus, I know this person needs you. I know they need to hear from you, experience you. Would you bless them? And so if you think about it, you guys in the previous service, there'll be 300 of us praying for people by name all week. Do you think that God won't do something miraculous as a result of that? I'm going to pray for us, and I want you to come forward and grab one of these crosses, and you write that person that you need to forgive and that person that you need to Jesus to do something miraculous for. Lord, thank you so much that you make it so simple. I know that every single one of us in this room are thinking of someone that we have harbored hatred toward. And you have brought that person and those people to mind so that we can do what you did on the cross and say, I forgive you. I Give you to the Father. You have brought us here this morning to make some room in our hearts. And I pray that as we lay down our hurts, lay down our burdens, lay down our bullies before you, that that space that that creates in our hearts and our minds and our souls, we invite you, Jesus, come and fill it with joy. Come and fill it with forgiveness and freedom and strength and direction, and the next thing. Come and do what you did for Baruch. Speak the truth to us so that we can know there's a better way. You have called us to be a people who go out of their way this semester to encourage love and good deeds. There is no better way to do that today than to forgive people who have hurt us and to pray for people who need it. So, May this not simply be an exercise of putting ink to wood, but laying down burdens and asking for blessings in return. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.